0: So I guess, you know, who, who who wants to talk about their practice and, you know, or they have any questions and we can see what we can do about answering questions, but.
1: I'll go since i um, already chatty already. Um, I think last week what uh, I was talking about, I really was having a lot of uh, desire to get off the cushion early. Um, it didn't go away 100% this past week, although I was able to get to my one hour goal, at least one day. Um, I did notice one day that I, I was sitting and I, I think I only remembered, I was mind wandering so much automatically. I didn't even know I was. And then I remembered only two times that aha moment only twice in like almost a one hour sitting. So, uh, And I was disappointed and I had to really be honest with myself about expectations because um, why was I getting disappointed after? So, okay. So yeah, it's not great to feel like you're in stage one where you're mind wandering so much. You didn't even know you were meditating for 99% of the time you were there. But I had to assess why I was not liking that. And I, and I had to see like where, what was the craving behind that. And uh, I was really trying to think, okay, so it was like thinking about something from work, like a client turning down a proposal or something like that. And uh, I had to assess, okay, where was, what was I feeling when I got to the aha moment? And I said, okay, well, I've just been thinking about this nonstop. I'm going to get up from the cushion now because this, this is not meditation. Um, and it was, it was, just I don't want to think about this anymore. That was the the craving, the desire was I want this to stop. I don't want to think about this now. So um, yeah, I mean it was I wouldn't call it a huge breakthrough because it's it's you know, But I, I I was kind of denying myself and said, oh I wasn't really having any expectations. I wasn't really having an idea of what the meditation should be. But I kind of was, and I was kind of wanting it to be something when uh, instead of just instead of pure observation so yeah that's that's been my week
0: cool you know um, I almost think that there's almost something misleading about uh, meditation and what people think meditation will do like in some ways um, you you start meditating it seems like you're almost always wanting to control the mind and there is some element that you you have more facility like with meditation with doing that but then there's also the element of um you know you never fully control your mind and and you learn to sort of kind of drop some expectations <laughs> and and you know because like you never know what the hell the next thought is 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 going to be necessarily right so i don't know i just think that's that's something that um there's always at play and then and it's a balancing act of of um you know to it's kind of like maybe it's like doing nothing in your practice and wait is you know am i doing some type of beneficial training or am i not right and so I, and that's i think that's the question but it's it's there's not always a um a clear answer and of course the answer to that 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 question depends on where you're at and what's important to you and yeah
1: yeah i think the part so, that that gets frustrated is is Okay, so it's been forty-five minutes. I only remembered twice that I was like I only came out of the fog of mind wandering two times, and then I get into my head. This isn't beneficial because I was just thinking about this one problem over and over again without going anywhere. But um, yeah, I guess that's part of the process. Uh, it just might be, but I mean, not necessarily. Staying in that place, but uh, staying on the cushion the whole time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: and there's there's a little aha moment in that too, right? Even the the fact that you're realizing, oh yeah, um, I'm thinking about this again, and this car, com- this train of thoughts not going anywhere. So there's there's a little aha moment in that.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's um, just the fact that I could. Uh, eventually kind of dig deeper and find out what the craving was that there is resistance um, is a benefit for me. Definitely.
2: One thing that helps me in in these kinds of thoughts is uh, to remember that there is actually no, not well done meditation. If you do it, it's well done. The only meditation that wasn't good is the one that you didn't do. So just keep doing it and if you stay to the end, all the better. And yeah, sometimes it's just hard and you're stuck in thoughts and it happens. And yeah, of course, we would prefer that not to happen that much because it kind of is a sign of progress. But on the other hand, things happen and just accepting that they happen, including that mind wandering happens, is part of the path, right?
1: Yeah, I, I know that on an intellectual level. <laughs> and then when I'm there doing it, it's somehow the there's a there's an argument. and Sometimes the, the other side can kind of convince me, convince me otherwise. So the,
3: the thought that comes up for me, Michael, is if you hadn't sat down in the first place and just mind-wandered for the hour, like, in normal life. You wouldn't have had any aha moments at all.
4: Yeah,
1: that's a good point. So even even two in an hour is better than zero.
4: I think
5: there's a, there's a lot of value in seeing, um, seeing your mind interact with uh, kind of like some agitation that arises when you notice circumstance. Um, just seeing that dynamic play out and seeing your reactions to it uh, and how kind of like your intellectual knowledge uh, like comes up when you're actually interacting with this in the moment, like that alone also has some value to it. That's, that's how I try to frame my sets that seem unproductive according to whatever scale I'm, I'm trying to measure them by. Uh, I try to see how, uh, how my dissatisfaction with that arises and how I, how I deal with it. And I find that a useful perspective to take at the time.
1: Yeah, I think that might be even a better uh, goal and oh, okay, goal is to be as mindful as possible. But rather, the goal is see what what happens with my mind with dissatisfaction
6: and agitation that will that will happen to And if you're too agitated, you can also do do nothing practice. Um, just switch to that.
1: I've done a, a little bit of that um, based on the. Uh, video that I watched with um, Shenzhen, how long would you suggest if you switch to that? Was it like 10, 15 minutes or just until things get calmer?
6: That's a good question. Um, I think when things, uh, till till things calm down a bit, um, I would just suggest that. I wouldn't necessarily do a time, but,
2: Actually, I would uh, go another route. Uh, I would really say, if I start a sit with do nothing, I do the complete sit, do nothing, or the other way around, if I do a sit with the intention to concentrate on the breath, for example, then I'll do that until the end of the sit and don't change plans in the middle.
0: Well, one thing that um, I think there's definite value to, yeah, you know, these, these different perspectives. One thing I want to say about the um, uh, adding in there is an uh, addition to think about is just if you find yourself getting like super overwhelmed, because I mean, you know, it, it can be super agitating, you know, those feelings coming up um, and you start, you know, for example, say you, you find yourself getting really anxious, right. And, or just like just being in your skin, irritable and, um, Sometimes it could be beneficial. It could be skillful to to switch to practice, and you know, for some people, like do nothing, that could help. Um, the one thing I'll say, of course, about do nothing, like I said, that could be that could help someone ground and sort of calm down. Con- conceivably, of course, that could you know that could not work too right. So yeah, you there's uh, you kind of have to to judge these things and know know what what you're at. But I definitely wanted to throw that in sort of to the discussion about, you know, being aware of like, if it is, if it, if it did get to be so um, agitating, right? It could be, in that case, I, I would, you know, I would think like um, it could be beneficial to, to switch practices, but.
7: Yeah, I think the switching practices, for me at least, it's more of a problem of not, not being distracted by the switching, so, uh, whenever a, a thought comes up i try not to be distracted by that thought and sometimes that thought is well i should switch practice and i should do something else because this isn't working and sometimes i just go too fast for another practice and one thing that i, I try personally to do is okay this doesn't seem to be working i will set um, a imaginary timer or three minutes, if in three minutes, it doesn't, it doesn't improve, then I will switch my practice to something else to I defend what what I'm going to do. Because that way, I, I feel that like, it's not I'm get, I'm getting carried on by the thought, but I'm intentionally changing my practice. And that way, I, I can at least avoid switching from one thing to the other at, at any time. And another another thing, Michael, is that uh, I have, coincidentally, having the same issue you have this week, and I noticed that I usually think with distractions, I don't want to be thinking about that right now. I want to be meditating, but on some level, I want to be thinking about that, because otherwise I wouldn't be. So it's like I'm trying to, I don't know, to integrate two parts one of them wants to sit and meditate and one of them wants to be thinking about that and if I try to struggle with the other part it only gets worse so I try to I don't know I try to make amends okay I know this is important I know I want to be thinking about that but can we just take a break and, and meditate for a while then I will go back to that and sometimes that helps. Sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, it's
2: something I, I'm trying to do. Uh, yeah, this intention to stay actively with the uh, distraction—that that's something that uh, also I have um, noticed uh, in the past. And it's it's basically the this is exactly the moment where uh, where we let go in the in the common sentence can work. Because let go isn't pushing away, etc. It's stopping to keep it alive. And and this is the exact moment when, when you notice that you are actively keeping it alive. Let go of the intention to keep it alive. That, that's all that is needed to get rid of a an, uh, distraction. And uh, shortly to the point before, um, I agree that if sit is getting really hard and distressing in some way, be it physical or mental, then it's okay to change things from posture to practice to completely stopping for the day. That uh, that is uh, the exception to what I said before. I completely agree. If things are getting hard, do stop. But if things are not really getting hard, then I don't think you should change practices mid-sit.
7: Yeah, you have to, to to know if you're just, I don't know, you're just being carried on by, oh, this is too hard, or if it is something that you should really thinking about changing. It's, it's only possible in, during the session, and, and that changes also between sessions. Sometimes during one session, you know, you, you can go and you, you you can push through it, and in some sessions and say, oh, okay, it's better if I change it. or anything else
0: yeah and i i agree very much with 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 everyone that it it like this practice does require like almost like a very gentle pushing forward and you you need like a gentle pushing forward otherwise you wouldn't train the mind right you wouldn't you wouldn't have gotten anywhere right but it is the thing to you know when the pushing of course to not be pushing too far too fast right but but yeah i i agree and one thing i noticed uh tom is his uh hands raised i don't know if he has something to say
3: yeah, I just wanted to call attention to Mert's uh comment in the chat. How can I deal with uh the same gross distractive thought pattern arising obsessively that is just remorse and regret during the day. And it sounded like you were kind of addressing that, Gary
0: And with that, um I was wondering if uh Mert is able to, to 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 talk a little bit to say a little bit more about where that question is coming from. Um because I think a little bit more information might help us to uh, have something, you know, to, to with our, have our response be directed to it. Otherwise, it, it might be a little, it could easily be off base.
3: Do you know how to unmute yourself, Mert? I've got a, an icon down in the lower left corner that shows mute. And when there's a line across it, I can't talk, and when I click on it, then it the line goes away, and I can talk.
0: Um, okay. Well, I mean, if so, uh, okay. Well, okay. So, I mean, one my. my my main thought is just that because it's um, would we'll just be thinking at at the, the question most generally, um, you know, like, and it'd be the same thing as if it came up in a sit. Um, and it's, you know, what is it mindfulness? It's like the optimal balance between attention and awareness, you know, kind of knowing what your general intention is, um, you know, if, if, if you're working and stuff, and it's really not relevant to what you're doing, and it's you know, very distracting, just kind of gently bring it back to what you, you know, what's relevant and important to the moment. But yeah, that's what comes to my mind.
2: Well, basically in daily life, the same thing applies with the let it come, let it be, let it go. When you notice that it is there, don't immediately fight back. Notice how you keep it actively alive and try to stop actively keeping it alive. And that can help if you train that also in the daily life, not just on the cushion. Yeah,
7: and Gilbert's point on being... uh, Not... the, The pushing being what the word you use gilbert not
0: um... no well just it's like gentle pushing, yeah, gentle or, pushing. it's like persistent yeah. effort but it's it's you know they call it what is it gentle diligence there's different ways people talk about it but yeah. there is some you know there is some kind of pushing but again it's it's not strong at all but it's just yeah. the most important thing about it it's consistent you know yeah. it's, it could be very gentle but it's just consistent and a lot yeah. that's that's a very good way to train yourself in anything
7: and Gideon's point of staying with it, with with the, the rumination or the thought or anything that com- comes up, and actually, I, I think that if you stay with it for long enough, you st- you start to first you start to to catch it earlier, but also you start to understand it better why it's coming up, and sometimes just the the, the realization that oh. This is why I'm having this rumination. That sometimes can be enough to, to dial it down.
1: For me, daily life, uh, negative thinking, um, I think the mindfulness review has helped a lot. So I, I would ask Mert, if you are doing the mindfulness review every day. Um, and if, if not, I would try to do that and that will help for um, kind of noticing where you've been the day before or whenever you do it. And then on the next time, maybe seeing when that's coming and then eventually being able to uh, deal with it in the moment.
0: I would also say exercise helps. Um, it's something is yeah, just moving the body. Um, we Our bodies like require some like, basic level of movement which it's easily easy for us not to get and it just makes you know makes us a little bit more out of whack and just having that movement kind of helps to um, you know smooth things out. Well, it, it sounds like you're pointing at that, like, the issues are very deep-seated. Um, and so, and when you have deep-seated issues, it's just, it's going to take, I mean, there there are deep reasons why it's there. And so, it's going to take a lot of work kind of over time, slowly kind of unwinding it, um, you know, I mean, therapy and, and just trying to, as uh, using as many tools as possible right, to, to work on these things is, is going to be helpful. So, I mean, I wouldn't, um, especially if you're saying, you, you know, it's sort of addicted or it's come com obsessive, right? Those are, that, that's that saying it's, yeah, no, it's, it's really, really deep. Um, and so, I mean, everything that people suggested, I, I highly agree with. And um, that is all part of the solution, but it's just applying all of it consistently over time.
1: One thing uh, maybe that might be helpful as well is, um, well, loving kindness meditation, which I'm very new at, but also I was listening to some forgiveness meditations. Uh, It was Bhante Vilmaranzi. I was looking at his loving kindness and then I found he has a guided forgiveness meditation which was recommended in cases where the loving kindness was still kind of too difficult to do so yeah so you started forgiveness and then then it's well maybe maybe that's opening something up i'm not sure when i first started loving kindness i was finding out i was very irritated right after doing that, (laughs) surprisingly so much more than previously. So if you're just starting, it's possible it could be opening some things up.
3: I've had that kind of uh, obsessive rumination At times after I've had a conflict with a family member, and I agree that can be really difficult to let go of, but I see in the chat you're saying that it seems to be connected to your uh, working with the forgiveness meditation. So I hope you get a handle on it.
8: I've got a question that relates a little bit to the the whole theme of uh, reframing expectations during meditation but we've recently got a puppy in the family and it's it's created a lot of external stimuli um in the home and I live in a, a fairly old home where there's not a lot of uh, you know doors separating rooms and it's gotten a little bit more of a live environment you know Uh, with noise and so you know one so I think that noise is a little bit of an opportunity it's a bit of a distraction but it can also be an opportunity and so I've been trying to just uh, note distractions and, and continue with the meditation which is which is going okay but are there any specific techniques in making use of a lot of external distractions you know is there anything I can do that's Potentially a different technique to make use of that, or is it best to just continue to try to just uh, note distractions and continue continue on with meditation on the breath?
2: Well, one option is to uh, to basically say this distraction is so. Predominant that I take this distraction as the new meditation object instead of the breath.
8: I've heard about that, and I've I've tried it when there's kind of a persistent noise or something like that. But I'll I'll, I'll try it again. This is more like choppy <laughs> noises, barks, you know, children noises. So it's a little bit more uh, come and go, but. I'll give it a try.
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. That makes it harder. Yeah.
0: I mean, one thought comes up is like that could be a, a a good time to practice the Brahma Viharas, you know, the loving kindness or you know, equanimity, sympathetic joy, compassion. Well, because you're getting those kind of constant reminders of, for myself, like, compassion you know, for myself, right? <laughs> for yeah. sure. That could be, you know, anyone, yeah. someone Yeah. But like, and, and it's clear that there's, there's some irritation that's coming up, right? Cause it, yeah. that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and so that's, it could be almost natural actually to, I was like, Oh, okay. There's some irritation. So let me, you know, try to, to tap into that, uh, you know, loving kindness. So it's, at least working with the irritation, at least the part of the irritation that's just not helpful,
8: right? Yep. Yeah. Good. Good suggestion.
0: Well, not, the more the more you do it, the more it'll help you to be more equanimous, like with it, just in general, like at, at another part in your sit, so you won't have to like uh, um, even switch practices. You can keep going with your, mm-hmm. um, you know, your breath practice.
2: Uh, and another small thing to maybe make you see it in a more positive light. If you're going to the gym, training with heavier weights is harder, but it also helps more.
8: Agreed. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to build skills, right? It's,
9: yeah. Thanks. When, one thing I sometimes do as well, when there's a lot of like noise distraction, stuff like that, is to try to identify just kind of from a technical point of view, all the different constituents of that experience. Like if I hear somebody talking, like do I hear the sounds of the voice without hearing the thing that I think they're saying? And can I separate the sounds of the voice from the idea of the things they're saying, from the reaction I'm having to it? You know, maybe they say something. And so it's like, if I, Dial in, like I can identify, like there's three or four different things going on at the same time, and some of them cause other things to happen, and then just kind of observing that whole dynamic, that whole interplay is can be interesting.
8: That's kind of what I was going for. I think that's uh, that's an interesting idea. I mean, sometimes I've noticed when I when I hear an, a noise or something, I can sense like um, you know a contraction in the body or other things going on. And so maybe looking for some of those things could be a good, good practice as well. And, and separating them out a little bit, like you said.
1: that's yeah, great. One thing, I, I used to have much much more major issues with noises than I do now. It's not perfect now, far from it, but it's gotten better. Um, a couple things that I try to keep in mind, um, I think it was Ajahn, Ajahn Chan who said, uh, the noises don't disturb you, you disturb the noises or the sounds don't disturb you, you disturb the sounds. So what he was talking about was the part that makes it noise instead of just sound is what's coming from inside rather than out there. It's what you're putting on top of it. Um, And another thing is I I also struggle with dullness. So if I hear a infrequent, somewhat loud sound Uh, Once in a while or not super frequently just so it's not repetitive. uh, I sometimes I'm even thankful for that because I can measure my dullness using that if I'm startled, you know, the the subtle uh, startling reaction is is means that Some dullness has been present there. So I'm like, Oh, great. Thanks. Large dog barking somewhere outside that that's been very helpful for me. You can you can go a
4: little bit more. (laughs) It'll be fine. If nothing else, it gives you an indication of what your peripheral awareness is doing, if it's collapsed or not. Um,
3: David asked about informal practice uh, uh, a little while ago in the chat. I wonder if we might want to talk about that. He said, do any of you do a, do any of you practice a noting technique throughout your day? I'm trying to accelerate my progress through stage two. Not sure if that's the right mindset, but I still experience a lot of mind wandering.
4: Uh, when I was in the stage two and three, I labeled thoughts throughout the day pretty much
5: nonstop. And uh, I found a lot of use from it. I <clears throat> also read and heard that other people have had a lot of benefit when dealing with mind wandering uh, and also gross distractions in stage four.
4: Um, they found a lot of use from just doing this consistent labeling of thoughts throughout the day.
3: Is that just
4: thinking or actually categorizing the thought? I, had a,
5: I probably had like six or seven categories. I don't think it matters too much whether you use just thinking or uh, more categories. Uh, that's kind of the conclusion I came to having done it for a while. Um, the goal is just to to train this introspective awareness that identifies
4: that thought is occurring and train it to execute faster. That's the effect it had for me at least
0: One thing that I almost find interesting that the, uh, sometimes we use that word informal practice, but it, it it's in some ways it's almost like you know it's kind of formal too, right? Like um, at least how I think about it, like if you're practicing something you're practicing something even if you know even if you're not uh sitting down or something right but like and even just in order like to to label right that that time that you're doing is is a type of formal practice
3: On the cushion and off the cushion.
0: David, did you have any follow-up questions? Or if, if you did, I, I would highly encourage you to just get, get on the mic or ask again, but, or ask, you know, ask, ask through chat. But any, any other uh, people want to talk about their, their practice, uh, any challenges, successes, or even just uh, something they want to discuss?
3: Just one more thing about David's oh. question. He just uh, communicated to me privately. He's not in a private environment, so that's why he's not unmuting.
5: Uh, I'd like to talk about what's been going on in my practice, but uh, I'm wondering if Sam is around, because Sam actually knows a bit about this, and I was hoping to get his opinion in addition to everybody else's. Sam, are you alive right now? Um,
10: yeah, I'm not Can you guys hear me? Like, okay.
5: Yeah, I can make out what you're saying, yeah.
10: Is, is it still distorted?
5: Uh, less so, much less so. I think it's good.
10: Okay, yeah. I mean, I've been listening in. Um, I'm just around the mic and stuff. Trying to get it. yeah. just- um,
5: okay, so what I wanted to talk about was um like my sits always go the same way for the last probably three, four weeks, which is um I do some... Body scanning, and so I start with meta, Uh, then I do do 15 minutes of meta and then 45 of TMI. Uh, And I'm talking here about the TMI bit. So I typically do some stage four for five to 10 minutes, and then I do a body scan or a partial body scan, returning to the nose, Um, maybe finish the body scan, depending on how how long I ended up spending at the nose. Um, But while I'm doing this uh, awareness, I think I talked about this before here, I can't remember. Awareness just continues to get brighter and brighter as I do this until it's basically overwhelmingly bright, and the object of attention is overwhelmingly small. Um, and eventually, I just sort of abandon the object. Like it seems like the object has become so small or so uninteresting that it's, there's no like I have the intention to follow it, but it's like my mind doesn't care about following it compared to the other things that are there. Um, it, that feels different than just having a distraction that immediately captures attention. So I end up, I end up doing this. I end up just kind of sitting in this space of awareness where attention seems to be nowhere. Um, and I, I end up doing this for long periods of time in my sits now and pretty much every sit ends with like 20 minutes, 10 minutes of this happening. Um, so I've been doing this for a long time, long enough to kind of get a sense for what's going on in this state. Um, Tension eventually does come back and I start to do something like kind of an open awareness practice. Um, but with all the objects just so damn bright that they, they almost like hurt, like my skin hurts everywhere almost. Um, and the thing that's really missing is uh, discursive thought is just gone for the whole time. Like for Like 10, 20 minute stretches in a row, there's zero thoughts at, at all. There's just the ones that I, I kind of intentionally put in there. I've been sitting in this state consistently and for long enough that I'm not sure if it's like, I feel like I'm doing nothing in this state. I'm just sort of abiding in this peaceful, calm brightness, uh, which feels nice. And at the time I have a lot of equanimity about state or, or sitting or not sitting. I don't feel too compelled to stop sitting or to not sit longer. Sometimes I just sit 20 minutes longer because of any particular reason to get up. Um, but it's starting to be kind of um, mundane and repetitive. That I'm not—I feel like I'm not training any skills when I'm doing this. Uh, Not—I'm uh, not executing any intentions at all. I'm not following any instructions, which is actually feels great to do that. But uh, I'm not convinced that it's a useful use of my time. Anybody have any thoughts on that?
0: Uh, I'll, I'll say something and then Ms. Sam, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm go take it home or, you know, so the first thing I'll say is uh, in, a very cool the Zen teacher was saying, you know, uh, Zen, and he's talking about meditation, really, it's like, a, it's a, it's a good for nothing practice. You know, it's like, and, and that's like, literally, like in some ways, like, it's like, it's good for nothing. Like, it's not, you know, you're, you're not learning how to, to, uh, you're, you're basically focusing on being, right? And the, the and getting better at being able to just be. And of course, the thing is, it, you know, we often have fears about, oh yeah, if I don't do anything, bad stuff will happen. Or, you know, just bad stuff. You know, I, I can't just be. and Or even that like, that'll make me less effective at doing. But luckily, I mean, that's actually not the case. You become so much more effective because you don't have, you know, you learn you you know when you're able to rest and you, you're able you're more comfortable at resting and then when the time comes for you know movement or energy or to doing uh action you just have more uh action available so so yeah but I mean to me it just sounds like you're uh yeah you're everything you're talking about you got you're getting really deep in your practice and like a really you know beautiful place but there's you have reservations, right? You're like, wait a minute, this is—I mean, it's nice, kind of, but part of part of your mind is not on board with it. It's like, um, you know, this this is not good for any. What is this good for? And and I, you know, I, I'm not training any actionable skills. So, so yeah, I wanted to throw that in there, and um, and also it just sounds like you're, you know, just you're, you're in terms of like the progress of insight. You would say like equanimity, right? The stage of equanimity and it just to me it's like just uh you're right at the stage just like completely letting go and then you know uh having pure conscious uh consciousness of a pure consciousness object or however you sort of describe it and sort of that whole stream entry uh deal so anyway those are some thoughts that came to my mind and i'm
5: yeah i um i sort of identified this as equanimity too and uh i talked to sam about it before and uh that's sort of what he told me also. I guess um, I guess my only reservation is pretty much what you said, that I, uh, I have some attachment to doing something, to being uh, gung-ho about some instruction. Um, the TMI training runs deep, I guess.
10: Um, so I can add, I mean, there is this practice in stage eight where you, basically you do choiceless uh, attention, which is sounds like it's pretty well suited for um, what you're experiencing. Um, so have you looked at that
9: practice?
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with what that is. I, I read that section in the stage eight. And, uh, that's more or less what the state becomes eventually, this kind of very casual, very slow version of choiceless awareness uh, or choiceless attention. I just sort of switch between objects. I'm not really compelled by any one object. I, In the past, I've also done this intentionally, this sort of choiceless attention practice, where I switched much more rapidly and intentionally between objects. When I do it now, it feels more natural uh, and sort of organic, it's good. Yeah, I guess my only reservation now that I, I've, I've said all that is that I felt like I, I wasn't. Uh, oriented enough in this state and I guess that the state just sort of it feels like it's always available in my sits like I could just start the sits in that state as well uh, and sit there the whole time and it's not clear whether I should do that like I kind of have this idea that I'm using up a lot of my sit to do this because I thought of it as maybe not productive
10: maybe but I should any kind of uh, like unification-like things going on while this is happening? Um,
5: so what do you mean, like a, an example of what Uh I mean.
10: You know, like energy sensations or uh, PT uh, pleasant sensations, vibration sensations, stuff like that.
5: Um, not really. So I have PT in the rest of my sits like I lead up to this pretty regularly, especially when doing meta, there's sort of endless waves of PT. When I get into this state, um, the only physical sensations I feel, I feel pretty much everything that I think is there to be felt, Um, but it all feels not pleasant. It feels slightly unpleasant, Uh, not in a distracting way or or a way that, at the time, I don't care. I just identify it as like, oh, this is clearly unpleasant. And that's sort of universal. There's definitely nothing as energetic going on as PT at all. It's like the opposite of that state. Opposite of the feeling of PT, whatever that is, intense calm, slightly unpleasant,
2: that's the state. Um, One thing that you maybe can experiment with is, uh, as you said, you're unsure how much of a sit to do that. Maybe just take the intention to for one sit sometime to completely do a sit only with this state.
5: Yeah, I might as well try that. You're right, I've never tried that.
10: so i think uh, this is this is kind of one of those times where uh there's a clear uh direction that your practice is going in and you want to kind of go with the flow um there's always going to be time to come back and if your practice is heading in the direction then you, know, you can always come back and train stable attention on one object but uh, there's a certain degree of following what your mind's natural inclination seems to be doing, um, that it has to be followed at times. And I think it's fruitful to keep uh, allowing this state to happen uh, because it sounds like there's clarity of, uh, it sounds like there's clear comprehension. Uh, it sounds like there's mindfulness. Uh, it sounds like there's anonymity. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of factors of enlightenment occurring in this state, and there seems to be just a little bit of uh, apprehension. Um, there's going to be plenty of time to go back, and I think it's, I would recommend uh, stream entry over uh, getting to stage 10, uh, if I had to choose one thing to do uh, right away, it would be uh, probably stream entry. and. According to those Progress of Insight maps, I think most people would tell you that this is definitely equanimity uh, knowledge, and um, you never know when it's gonna happen. Uh, it might happen with a um, event, or um, it might that's the Insight knowledge where the, the uh, cessation will occur from. And I think you never know when it's gonna happen. Um, you can make it happen. Um, all you can do is kind of just be open to letting it happen. Um, so, I would encourage you that this is this is still, this sounds like a good thing.
5: Okay. You told me that before. It just kept going on and on, and I wasn't sure if it was still a good thing.
10: Yeah, I mean, it's weird. It's like um, you kind of have to give up this notion that you're in control and you're you're as a separate being heading from point A to point B. Um, even if you temporarily give up that notion. Um, that seems to be what's required for um, awakening to happen. Because in my case, it was definitely a, it felt like grace. It wasn't something that I did. It was something that happened to me. Um, and with the, uh, with the mindset that you can, uh, that you're just going to let things happen, that's kind of where you want to be headed. Think, um, I think I can't say much more than that, but um, you've got lots of time. And if it really, you know, give it a couple months and it doesn't seem like this is going anywhere, then maybe you can reevaluate then. But um, I would be patient. Okay.
5: Thanks,
0: everybody. Well, um, Jolt, I mean, it's like the, you know, sort of dropping the the fetter of personality to belief, right? Those first three fetters that happen at stream entry. Um, I mean, it's a big, it's a big effing deal, right? Um, And it's something that's been present in the mind uh, throughout as far back as you can remember, right? Whenever you've thought about it or looked or something, it's been there, and what happens is, of course, at, you know, stream entry, you know, is there's some recognition of it dropping in the sense, and then it's like, oh wow, you have an experience where it wasn't there, and something that you never could have known what it would have been like um, beforehand. You know, and it's a it's sense of of just of absence, right? And of course, as you you know, you go, you continue on, you know, you you things normal out in a sense, and but um yeah you're sort of like your entire life has been oriented around these things oriented around when you're doing something it's always you know i in relation to me doing this thing and it's a thing they're very like object type things um and with awakening all this stuff just kind of dissolves and it's like wait a minute this model there's a problem with this model right it's not just these it's What I had of, the the ideas I had of it were almost like cartoon versions of of reality. You kind of, you see some of that, right? And you see how even your thought of yourself was a little bit like a cartoon version, right? Two-dimensional in a sense. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to mention is sort of this whole uh, craving, right? I mean, as you're getting to equanimity, right, and that's uh, craving sort of diminishes. And there has to be, there has to be some of that, right? Some for um in order for you to sort of step outside of this process right but as you're getting sort of closer to that territory the diminishment of of, of craving where you're just more and more just being um it's unfamiliar territory right i mean your entire life yeah you've always been reaching after something or pushing away always to get something right always to try to yeah always to try to get something um and, but, they, but yeah, but that's foreign territory that, and it's because it's foreign territory. It's like, wait a minute, am I doing something wrong? You know, there's just, there's unease. Right. Um, and there is just sometimes that of like, oh my God, what, you know, what happens if I completely let go? You know, if I completely give up craving, you know, you know bad stuff will happen or, or, if, you know, just completely relax. Um, you know, yeah, because that is, it's, it's kind of, in some sense through, through that gate of, um, I guess maybe there are other gates, but like, I mean, to me, that seems like a, um, the easiest and most helpful, but, or most common is just like the letting go. Right. And you let go. Um, I've heard, uh, uh, some people say it's like, you know, kind of like jumping off a cliff. You think you'll fall down, but then you fall up or, um, you know, or even I love how Sam was talking about like grace, right? It, it is, and it is something that you don't do. It's like, it's, it's somehow, you know, you stop doing and then it just happens, right? There's something like that, but it is, it's very much not like you did it, you know? There, I don't know. It's, it's uh, subtle and hard to, 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 to say, but yeah.
5: Thanks, Gilbert. I'll, I'll keep doing it. I'll keep uh, sitting in this state at least.
1: I know, uh, Jan has had his hand up for a long time and we'll Rodrigo after that.
6: Um, yeah. Um, well maybe Rodrigo, if Rodrigo has something to say about the previous, um, subject, then he can go first. Oh, um,
7: go
6: ahead. All right. Um, so my question is a bit related to this. Um, and it's also more directed to Sam maybe, and maybe go with it as well. Um, well, my practice is going really well. Um, again, um, uh, my question isn't really about my practice, but at the moment it has been, um, more stage nine, uh, kind of practice. Um, but I listened to a podcast of Kuladasa about, um, um, meditation and insights, uh, like fruition's and, um, like a while ago, I talked about the retreat I had with Tucker and where I reached stage 10 and then, um, well, re- had a fruition, which was like it. that description of Kuladasa just perfectly matches um, what happened there. Um, the only question that I had, because I'm a bit confused about maps and uh, that kind of stuff, um, because... Um, um in, in the book, Kuladasa talks about like insights and the insight in no self, um, which uh seemed to have happened before that and then I had like uh, at the retreat to fruition. Um and I thought that fruition at the retreat was maybe the second path, but um after that retreat, um it it, it seems like in it, certain areas, uh, a version desire I have diminished, but in certain other areas, not. Um, and so I don't really think it's like, um, that was second path, but, um, like what's the deal with like, um, first path is that, how, how does, uh, Kulidasa see that is it like after you have that inside in yourself or is it after fruition experience? I'm a bit confused about that. Do you know anything about that?
0: So I'll, I'll say something um, that uh, Chula Rasa defines second path is with the diminishment of um, the, you know, of craving and aversion. And, you know, I know, uh, you know, Daniel Ingram defines this as like a second cycle of insight. But mm-hmm. from what I've seen, like other people on the like that that's not a helpful distinction at all. It's just not. I, because there's, is there's, there's no clear, um, you know, you don't know if like, Oh yeah, was that the second cycle or no? Cause it's so easy to, to, to think, Oh yeah, that was, and it was just like this mini and, and it, it didn't have that effect. Um, to, in my experience, I mean, I think, uh, the better marker of second path is basically, um, You really have an insight into craving and aversion like you can see it you actually see in some sense like really upfront and and personal what what's that thing that was that's always going on or what yeah it's always going on and you're like oh wow like that's um i don't really want to do it you have to have some of that like you know in real time i think um not only see craving in real time but also have some sense how to get, how to like, um, you're also able to uh, um, kind of let go of a craving in a sense. Like you, you know how to set the causes and conditions to let go of a craving. Um, so like it, it can uh, extinguish. Because if you know how to do that, I mean, to me that it's, and it's natural like, oh yeah, you, then you just keep on doing that. Um, whenever it arises for any different little craving for sense pleasure, craving for something out in the world, And, you know, it's a lot of work there, a lot of conditioning to go through that, you know, you first work through that, then you can actually get to third path, which is like, okay, yeah, you've overcome it. And that seems like, you know, from my experience, that that all matches up um, with the whole process and experience. Meanwhile, like, I I don't know, Daniel Ingram is kind of some of the things, uh, but definitely that second path that's focusing on like, was it a second cycle? Like I just see so people, so many people, so much confusion, so many different definitions, so much. Um, yeah. But more important, I think is like, okay, yeah, you've had a noticeably um, you know, market reduction in, in craving and that, that is second path. And that is different from first path because from first path, you don't, you don't have, um the awareness really of craving yes you've you know you've gotten rid of some like some some gross levels of suffering that are tied up to you know personality belief but you know you haven't had that same insight and you can still have lots of craving and not realize that oh my god you're you know all this craving and stuff that you're you're searching after this all the or aversion and stuff like you you're making it worse for yourself um but so that doesn't you know that doesn't happen necessarily at first, but most of the time it really doesn't. I know also talks about that sometimes people can jump in a sense to like second path, um, or even potentially even higher paths. Um, so, so yeah. And that's, that also points again to why necessarily that, that first, you know, trying to, trying to judge cycles, you know, like it's just not helpful. So those are my thoughts. Um, I don't know what, what Sam has.
10: Um, Yeah, I'd agree with Gilbert on most of, of pretty much all that. Um, So uh, I think it's less useful after stream entry to try to map where you are Um, because it's kind of silly um, to begin with. Um, So I only recently uh, could maybe place myself Second Path, and that's after a year of having the initial insight and seeing uh, how it played out over a lot of different situations and stressors in life. So I wouldn't worry about um, any kind of mapping. Um, really what, what characterized um, getting from entry to Second Path for me was that craving just started sticking out, obviously, um, and you know, un- you know I didn't even have to do anything. It's like the only thing I noticed, and then see that was clearly the focus of my practice, um, was noticing all the ways in which I craved, uh, even the slightest things, uh, and noticing that on a more and more subtle uh, and minute level. So if, uh, that's the direction to head. Um, and eventually, um, so uh, the second path insight for me was uh, seeing dependent origination very clearly uh, seeing the mind moments um, after an object of craving so um, that's I think where you want to be headed um, the fruitions are good if you get the repeats um, it's those can be those can uh, be really good because you can see the costly conditions that cause of mind to go into fruition. And you can see how craving is involved in that process. And so after stream entry, I had a lot, you know, I'm lucky to have had a lot of the repeat fruition, so I was able to see it again and again. And I noticed a clear process with craving um, and how the craving for an object, a sense object, would drop and then the fruition would happen. Um, so that's the kind of thing that you want to look for. And, uh, some people don't get a lot of the fruition, the repeat fruition's and that's totally fine. Um,
6: yeah, because, um, my practice, um, at the retreat was exactly this because I had a lot of pain. So I, it was more aversion instead of craving, but it's basically the same. So, um, um, so I clearly saw how it impacted my space of awareness. And if I let go of it, uh, it became like my space of awareness became very spacious, big, and that eventually led to the fruition for me. Um, and now I've been doing basically the same practice again and again, where I try to, to, um, keep in my keep this in mind. Um, but at home it's, um, now it has been mostly like where i get into this like big spacious uh, uh awareness um but no repeated frictions have happened uh yet but so are you doing
10: the meditation and the mindful practice
6: yeah i know i know that i've been doing uh sometimes i i have been doing a lot of like choiceless attention uh practice
10: uh, I would try meditation on the mind because that can uh, that can be good. Um, there's a certain insight that you get from that practice that is kind of like the stream entry insight in a way, but it helps you to see it from a different perspective, um, and it doesn't require uh, fruition or things like that. Um, basically, you're looking for you're you're looking to see directly that everything is mind. Um, everything is not the mind. Everything is the mind doing a process. Um, so it, it, if that seems to drive for you, if that practice, uh, like you described the spaciousness, which is uh, kind of, that's, that's what you get into with stage nine because there's the very high conscious bandwidth and then there's also the, the clarity and the stability. So... Um, yeah, I'd recommend meditation on the mind, and, uh, you, you can probably do the jhanas, uh, so, those can be good, to uh, craving, also.
6: Yeah, um, but with meditation on the mind, like, um, that's mostly, like, focusing on your attention is then focused on the awareness, kind of, like, it's, it's like your attention is your awareness. So you, tr- you not try to like zoom in on something in your awareness, but more like everything, right? That is that? It?
10: Uh, yeah, so the thing that I noticed the most when I do that is that uh, when you try to keep this big space of attention and awareness, and the distinction sort of falls away. But uh, every now and then a sense object will come. And you'll notice a process with craving that shrinks that space of awareness and tries to uh, tries to take the object and make it something separate, when very clearly before, everything happening was a process, an interconnected process. And you'll see that uh, with, with an object of craving, the mind will uh, isolate it and create a self and another out of that. You see it very clearly doing the meditation on the mind. So that can be uh, really helpful. Um, but, you know, past, like, if you're getting into the depth stages, like, uh, you kind of have this, you, you, you'll you discover that you have some kind of intuition for what needs to be done, and uh, you don't necessarily need to follow the instructions as the book has they, as they laid out. Um, because you're, if you're in stage one, that's uh, a very powerful uh, state to be in. Um, so I would just go where your mind is uh, sort of inclining towards, if you will.
6: Yeah, yeah, that that sounds uh, all good. Thanks.
7: In one Q&A, I think Chiladasa says that one, one mark of second path is when you start actually going after your cravings and you you start, can you hear me okay because my connection is iffy? Yeah.
0: yeah okay.
7: So you start going after your cravings because you start realizing that they are what what is holding you back? So uh, it seems that first path is something like you take you take a step back, and you can you can not be I don't know not be thrown around so much. But with second path, you start walking towards the difficulties and towards the craving and towards the aversion, and I, I imagine eventually to the point where you you can overcome them. And another thing regarding the the cycles of insights, I think that, and even uh, Daniel Ingram says something about that, that the first path, the the cycle seems to be more straightforward. So after after second path, things start becoming more fractal, I think he says. So it's hard to to say, oh, this is that. I don't know that nyana uh, from second, the second cycle, second cycle. And I think that maybe it stops being so useful. And as Sen said, it, it, it you might get some better sense of what you should be doing um, by yourself than just by following the instructions because you know better and not only that because you can notice and you can perceive uh whatever is happening in your mind and you can see oh this direction seems to be fruitful so yeah uh i have actually a a question for you guys and my practicing is going going well I'm still on stage five, and I have been having some difficulty with, difficulties with distractions, but it's going forward. But one thing that I have noticed is for the last two weeks uh, approximately, I have, I don't know, I, I think it was doing a session that I had, had something like a, a release uh, in my chest, and I noticed that I have become much more emotional, and not during the the sessions, per se, but uh, in daily life. For example, uh, crying during grammar storms, and it's been it's been interesting. Uh, I'm okay with it, but I've noticed that it, it is happening. M- just on daily life and just spontaneously i i watch something i see i see a a dog on the street or whatever and i get emotional but doing the seats nothing is happening i mean i don't get purifications i don't get uh meditative joy or or pity or anything like that and i don't know if i should just go with it or if i just or if i should try to integrate it into my sessions and try to use the opportunity to develop something. I don't know, Uh, I wanted to hear
0: your thoughts. So, um, I mean, definitely what you did was was awesome and good. Like, I mean, the whole, the release, I mean, it's clear, um, to me, that's that's, just something, what you're doing is working because um you know as we go through this 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 practice this path um we do sort of you know slowly and or we we start dropping some of our armor some of the ways that we've been disconnected or just deadened i think maybe deadened is a good way to put it um and when you start dropping some of that armor um, particularly as you first you know are adjusting to the new reality i mean things are like tender in a sense right um and but yeah but you are you're like you're you're closer to to life and experience um yeah and, and so and in particular and one thing i'll say about the game of thrones that's a very intense show i i don't i don't even i'm not uh, i haven't even watched the new season just yet because it is so intense and um you know, I, 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 I see my dad, he loves that show. Talk, he was to me about like the last episode. I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like so stressful. I'm like, <laughs> super intense. But anyway, that's kind of a little bit of a sidebar, but. Um, yeah, but it's yeah.
7: actually interesting because uh, uh, during the, I don't, I think the, the second episode, I, 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 both, I got emotional both uh, of happiness and of sadness. Mm-hmm. And that particular episode was was something that that triggered that that realization on me that oh something is happening here because I I usually don't don't react like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you you get you you do get closer to experience. I'm right re- reminded right now of um, it was a, a a scientific experiment that I I heard about where they were. Um, testing monks, right? People have been meditating for, you know, thousands of uh, hours. And, you know, they had them hooked up to some type of brain scan thing. And they were noticing that quickly, like they, they quickly reacted. And like, there was a very, very quick um, sort of, in some sense, reaction to that, uh, to the stimuli. And it was like some type of like painful shock or heat or cold. Um, and but then quickly then it, it dropped right and so like they were feeling what was going on but then as soon as the, the stimulus stimulus was was gone they were qu- quickly back to baseline. Meanwhile, you have the ordinary person, you know, they're aware like you know the first shock that getting until getting to the first shock they're not worried too much. But then after the first shock or whatever, they're like, oh my god, like kind of thinking about it, and they're they're uh, you know they're they're kind of elevated escalated until they actually get the, the shock. So anyway, they're just kind of more. Uh, sort of reactivity going on um, and all just because kind of they're perseverating over the thoughts or and not necessarily at the higher level but maybe lower level um, but but yeah to me my, my takeaway is like you do get closer to experience um, and so you feel things more and then the the what also drops of course is your internal kind of reactivity to it so um experiences that were like painful like oh my god it was like I was I was too painful tender hearted and that was like bad or uh, I got too vulnerable or you know just that starts dropping away or you know maybe just the ways that we make experience worse also drop away so so it's like it, it ends up being like this um I don't know just yeah more beneficial thing I will say that um, I I know I notice myself that like I'm just like uh, in some sense more I wouldn't necessarily use the word emotional because again emotional kind of just has all these negative connotations that don't and most people who are emotional like it's not um uh it, it doesn't it doesn't describe what's going on um but it's more you're just you're just more awake um yeah
7: yeah uh, I understand I can relate uh two things that come to mind is uh first is uh, another of ken Wilber's quotes that he says it hurts you more but it bothers you less yeah. and because you're you're more open but at the same time you don't you don't cling to it uh so much and the second one is the the related to that is the reactivity and i've noticed that for example i cried over uh, a dog on the street the other day and it hurt me profoundly, but at the same time, after I, ch- I stopped crying, okay, it's gone. Uh, I, I have some other thing to do, and it it didn't. It wasn't something that that created some tension. It's it was more, as you said, tenderness. I don't know something more, mm-hmm. more directly experienced, and not something that I. I don't know, I got into thinking about it and compulsive uh, crying or not, anything like that but yeah, it makes sense. thank you.
6: Do you also have a feeling in your heart um, more like a yeah pity kind of feeling, or is that not the case
7: um uh, a little, but not very much, I, I, I think I know what, what you're referring to, but I have had something like that, but many, many years ago, and uh, nowadays, I, actually for the last decade, I, I was depressed until a, a couple of years ago, so it's, as Gilbert was saying, it's like um, I'm regaining that, that aspect, And I can sense some of that, but not too much. It's not, it's not evident.
6: right, yeah, because uh, it could also be an opening of the heart, uh, which I also uh, had. um, And then it's a bit similar to uh, like purifications uh, kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: All right, I gotta go, see everyone, um, thanks again. Take care, Gil. Uh, take care.
4: Yeah, and what does uh, opening the heart mean to you when you said you were in that process of opening the heart?
6: Um, Well, for me, it was, like, a a constant feeling in my heart. Um, I didn't experience, like, a lot of random emotions, but it was more like um, a kind of, like, burning sensation in the heart, uh, which is still there sometimes, but not as negative um, as it used to be. And uh, with that, I, I... sometimes woke up in the middle of the night with a sensation and uh, couldn't fall back to sleep and had to like do yoga or meditation to like calm it down. Um, uh, Which, yeah, that was what what was going on.
1: That's the physical sensations you mean of that. It's not necessarily the emotional part of it or was that, was it not connected to anything
6: emotional? No. No, not really. It was more like really physical like um, an energy uh blockage or uh, something like that.
7: It was a negative in
6: Vedana thing. Um uh, partly um it was weird so like uh sometimes it uh, it felt a bit nagging and not very positive, but in a sense it was also positive because it like, um, it strengthens, uh, pity sensations and whether they could like easily enter pleasure jhanas And, um, so a bit of both, but in the beginning it was like, what's going on? Like (laughs) it was just constantly there.
2: Uh,
1: one thing i've been thinking about lately is equanimity and what that means and i when i first was trying to figure that out i had no idea really how to define that um i think i'm still working on it but um thing i kind of come to a lot as the that old that i think it was from i forgot who wrote it but the it's the best of times it's the worst of times it just feels like at the same time things are better than they have ever been but they're also i guess it's charles dickens probably right uh yeah like everything's so great but also noticing all the being open to all the suffering in the world everything's as bad as it's ever been but it's also as great as it's ever been. So I don't know if that's equanimity or just some kind of saying stuck in my head lately, but I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot.
7: Yeah, I think that that quote I mentioned from Ken Wilber or tomorrow about this video last is from a video where he is answering a question about how how can you bring together the absolute and the relative. When on the absolute side, side everything is, is great, everything is fine. Uh, uh, there is a Brazilian Lama that says something like, uh, the Buddha created uh, an illusion body to help illusion people with illusion suffering. And uh, on the absolute side, everything is fine, but on the relative side, everything is a mess, and we have so much to do, and there's so much suffering, and to bring together those two things, uh, I think it's part of the path, and I don't know, and he himself says something like that, that uh, he doesn't think it's, you're supposed to solve that, you're supposed to to be able to to hold that, that attention attention. and I think uh, you're probably right that I think that that is equanimity the the capacity to, to at the same time be with the suffering and not be overwhelmed by it and not running away from it at the same time so yeah
4: I think this will
7: be the moment where Ted says that we're all just looking at each other in the face. And...
4: Well,
10: I've enjoyed it. Thanks, guys.
3: Yes. Thank you all. Time to go to grocery shop. Yes, show. thanks.
6: Thanks,
10: Thanks
3: time 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 for, time 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 for room. participating.
4: Bye.